You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 67. And folks, I'm not gonna lie, this episode is mainly for anglers. And I know a lot of you folks are stuck at home right now and can't go fishing. So that episode is dedicated to you, all you anglers stuck at home who are longing to go out with rod and line, but you can't. And maybe some of you have this thought that once it's all over and you can go fishing again, you will go to some bucket list fishing destination. And there is no better place to go looking for bucket list fishing destination than worldsportfishing.com. And by the way, this episode is not sponsored by World Sport Fishing, but our guest today is a fishing guide and owner of World Sport Fishing, Richard Sherrod. I fished before with Richard, uh, I think 10 years ago in Guinea-Bissau, and so I am really happy to be able to bring you my conversation with Richard, and it was uh, great to talk with him again. Unfortunately, I haven't fished with Richard since, which is something I feel like I need to fix. But these folks were in touch with me uh, pretty regularly, like with all their previous customers, sending fishing reports and uh, giving information what's up and where you can go fishing at the moment. So once you're on their list, you will be updated. And yeah, so I'm not going to be dragging this any longer. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Sherrod. Richard, welcome to the show. Welcome to Tommy's Outdoors. It's been 10 years since we had a proper chat. Indeed, indeed, yes. And well, uh, in Guinea-Bissau, as I remember. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> probably the, the uh, listeners to this podcast heard that story many, many times. You know, <laughs> 10 years ago, I was in Guinea-Bissau. But in fairness, um, that was probably the the best week of fishing or maybe two weeks of fishing in my life so far so yeah. Yeah. it does do that to people guinea-bissau i'm afraid yes <laughs> yes so just for the context for for listeners you're running world sport fishing and the heading is fishing holidays by fishermen for fishermen can you just describe in in detail to people what you're doing and what they can expect um where we've well, um, uh, I started the company in uh, 1998, um, and uh, since then we've uh, started off with Gambia, um, which then was a a very good and relatively cheap destination. Um, soon moved out into British Columbia and various other places. Got involved in a lot of fishing in West Africa. Um, because I'm French speaking, I I um, spread out across West Africa to Guinea-Bissau, um, Gabon, various other um, and destinations across there, and obviously most of the popular um, saltwater and freshwater destinations, Mexico, Kenya, um, South Africa, 
Um, yeah. I'm pretty much all over the world, to be honest. Um, it's 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 incredible uh, because your your website. I I like how the website is laid out. You can browse by destination or by species, <laughs> and when you and you look you at by destination, you get Europe, Africa, America, uh, which is North America, and then the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. When you have a Thailand and India and Cuba and Amazon, yeah. it's it's incredible. Even uh, I even I forget how many destinations we've got most of the time it must be very very tough uh from the logistics point of view how do you how do you managing all that you know global business well we 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 sell complete packages as a rule um basically um push button packages including flights and transfers accommodation food blah 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 because i find it uh a it gives a client more confidence and b it's a lot easier from our point of view from the point of view of Let's say uh, the last thing you want is clients booking their own flights and missing connections and losing days fishing and that sort of thing. So I find it easier. And and I think the clients prefer it anyway because it's a one-off cost. Basically, their costs are that and they don't have to pay X when they arrive or whatever else. So uh, it's just it's just a lot easier from a client point of view. And, of course, we're at all registered, so we pay a bond every year. So as a part of our bond, we include flights and that sort of stuff. Okay, okay. But, I mean, the, the coordination of, you know, like I presume in your office the, phones and is, the phone is ringing all the time and you have all those destinations. I mean, like it's 24-hour... Uh, business given the destination I, I, is is that hard to manage all that um i think initially when you're setting up new destinations it's difficult because you've got to get to know the people and how they work and one and one thing and another and um i tend to travel to the destination look at what they're doing and it's a lot easier to understand um how people work and the 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 limitations of what you can do and where you can go and all this sort of thing because it's a lot easier to explain to clients um how it works if you've experienced it yourself you know i mean you get people who have i wouldn't say unrealistic expectations but they have expectations of what they can do and you're far better off to say look that's not going to work if you want to do this you need to go there or if you want to do that you want to go here um because and also uh, there are there are myriad different options you get big groups of guys you get two anglers together you get families you get couples you get whatever and certain destinations are just not um how would i put it suitable for certain people um oh. I, you know i for instance um the island in guinea you uh, you wouldn't want to take somebody with their wife who wants to go shopping and you know massages and all this sort of stuff because that that kind of thing is not available so i mean there are obviously destinations where that sort of stuff is available but um uh, knowing your client spending the time going through it talking through the options finding out what wants and and partners are very important because to be perfectly honest if you can keep the partner happy then the the, the fisherman can go off and do what he likes and uh, you know, everybody stays relatively um, content. Whereas, you know, if you send some, if you send the wrong person to the wrong place, all you're going to get is, um, let's say, um, our sake. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, and this is you. T- you touch on the important part because it's uh, it's obviously fishing holidays, but 
you also have an option to include uh, the partners or wife or spouse, I suppose. They, they can go ahead and do whatever they want. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's a, it's a situation where... Um, uh, um, you you need to uh, you need to be able to cater for that because to be honest, otherwise you're literally just excluding probably thirty percent of your clientele. You know, oh. I mean, you know, there are obviously guys who travel on their own and go fishing, but then there are uh, any number of guys who can't do that because they only get one holiday a year. So, and that's a right. family holiday, and they want to include a bit of fishing on a family holiday. And I mean, destinations like Cabo San Lucas. Uh, in Mexico and Cancun and places like that are ideal because you've got a hol- you've got a-, a holiday resort with some good fishing next to it. Right. So you know you can keep everybody happy in the same thing. You can have your big all inclusive hotel while still going and doing a bit of fishing. Well, that's that's great, and you know I'm happy you said that because like in my in my head after visit to Guinea it was uh, only you know for a hardcore anglers who just go in they don't see anything and just <laughs> isolated from from everything else but you're right there's not not all the people have this comfort i guess or this possibility to do no so. i mean i would say you're probably right for 80 percent of the people who who travel with us you know they are groups of blokes um right you know and they are go in there specifically they've got a week and their missus allowed them away for a week so they want to go and they want to fish as hard as they can for a whole week and they want to catch a lot of fish and that's yeah. a natural expectation which is fine yeah. and i mean yeah. that's that's the we cater for that in places like guinea mm. uh, madagascar the andaman islands um you know because they are pretty much fishing destinations yes um yes, yes. you know they're not they're not what you'd call holiday destinations i mean there are i mean guinea for instance i mean my my wife is perfectly happy to go to Guinea. She she's um, more than happy to go because she lo- loves sitting on the beach. She likes going on the boat with us, and you can do other things. But if you want massages and going shopping and blah blah blah, yeah. then it's not those sort of destinations and not the place. Yeah, obviously, obviously. Um, listen, Richard. So you're trying to be in in each of the destination at least once a year or is it like pretty much you go into the reconnaissance no, I mean going on I mean there are destinations which we run exclusively Guinea uh-huh. um, Gambia to agree Senegal where we've uh, we've got our own boats and we we have our own employees and we operate the fishing from there um, but there are lots of destinations where we have appointed operators who we deal with uh-huh. British Columbia uh mexico cancun and a lot of destinations where we have an appointed operator who runs a fishing operation some of whom have their accommodations some some of them don't so depending on where we go we might have to book a separate hotel and fishing and flights and transfers gotcha but a lot of places have a lot like a fishing lodge for instance i mean if you do somewhere like costa rica Mm -hmm. you'll have a fish a lodge which has its own accommodation it also has its own boats so we will deal with them we have an exclusive contract with them and we'll send clients direct and they will pick them up from the airport and deal with them on that basis and our involvement there is literally just as a travel agent okay i mean albeit albeit a bonded travel agent with insurance and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. but we are a travel agent effectively okay okay gotcha gotcha 
Richard, tell me, uh, there's many questions, Like, but I, I suppose the one that I always asking uh, my guests is like, how, does it all, how did it all start? How did you get to do what you do? Because I'm a fisherman. <laughs> yes, you, you know, I, I appreciate that, but there's a lot of fishermen who, who are, you know, mainly working in a factory the... working in yes. a factory yeah. yeah exactly and trying to squeeze in uh, you know a few hours in the weekend uh, uh, so... i sold uh, well i've got a lot i've got a fair few businesses i sold a business a big packaging operation and i was looking for something to do and i went on holiday and the guys in gambia said to me oh um we can never get enough clients we can't you know we don't know how to do it we need some we need to do something in england and i said well when i get back i'll have a look and i'll i'll see if i can set you up a website with no real intention to start a travel business to be honest um yeah. it was merely i merely it was merely an intention to help them out started the business got involved and next thing i know here we are 20 odd years later Right, right. Uh, with a business, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm very passionate about sport fishing. I enjoy it a lot. Um, and uh, having said that, I can't remember the last time I caught, I actually landed a fish myself. I spend oh, really? well, I spend most of my time. Got if I'm out there, I tend to be guiding as such. So I'm, yeah, and I and I and I believe in all honesty, unlike a lot of people, that guides shouldn't fish. Because if a guide's fishing, he's not really paying attention to what the clients are doing. So, uh, exactly. realistically, uh, you can stand behind people, and on occasion, you know, if they say, "Oh, I can't hook this fish," or "I'm getting lots of bites and I'm not, I'm not hooking up," or whatever, you can show them what to do and hook fish. And uh, there are lots of different. Um, how will I put it? There are lots of different uh, opinions on how it all works. In my opinion, um, having fished with hundreds of anglers, maybe thousands, um, most anglers like to fight fish. Now, if they're having a hell of a job hooking fish or they can't work the jig properly or they can't work whatever, if I hook yeah. a fish and then hand it to them, they're more than happy to wind it in. And looking, yeah. at, <laughs> looking at some of the photographs on my website and photographs that have been sent through and one thing or another where anglers are going, oh, yeah, look at this fish, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute. I hope that but that's yeah, not that that's certainly not the average that's just on occasion but it it, it um how would i put that's it cheating. that's cheating that doesn't well, count it, it, <laughs> it, put it this way you know you've got guys who get um and i mean the 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 famous saying is oh it's a holiday of a lifetime if they go away if they go away and they're struggling because of, i mean you know realistically there are experts in this world they will tell you they know everything about everything and all the rest of it. But 90% of the fishermen that we deal with haven't f caught fish that fight like that. They haven't caught fish mm -hmm. that bite like that. Or, you know, when, you, when you're fishing things like live baits, it's very difficult because you've got to wait and you've got to take your time and all this sort of stuff. And unless you can impart that to them mm, and get, yeah. they're going to, you know, uh, they, they want to be, they want to be catching fish. They don't want to be spending three days missing fish and missing out on their best fish of the holiday because nobody's prepared to touch the rod or do anything else. And yeah. and yes, you know, I mean, one of uh, I suppose one of the things that gives me more pleasure than anything is to um, how would I put it? Uh, is to um, go to 
um, is, is is to to see an angler at the beginning of the week, uh-huh. and and you know when they're they're sort of throwing the rod over their shoulder, trying to hit fish and doing this and freaking out when they hook a fish and losing fish because they're not they're not in control of themselves, let alone the fish. And then, uh, well, that, that, that is that is the issue. You know, you've got a situation where, um, uh, you know, you you, you you say something to somebody, and along the lines of, you've got to be on your you've got to be on your metal here because this fish, you know, these fish are going to smash you in the rocks or stick you in a wreck. So you got, to, and there's and there's a fine dividing line between being hard for, on fighting a fish and going completely mental and not really yeah. knowing what you're doing you know yeah. you, you've got a you've got a situation where you, you say to somebody look you know you're gonna have to go to this fish because we're on the side of a wreck and that fish is going to go and they just go mental and you go stop stop because they they're 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 overreacting so much they don't actually know what the fish is doing they don't know yes. where it's going they don't know what it's doing you know whatever because uh, and half the time they either end up pulling the hook out or or just getting smashed up so effectively the uh imparting to people the the ability to control what they're doing suss out what the fish is doing because you know if you look a fish that like a cassava it's not going to run in a rock and you won't really know that until you know how the fish takes or what it's doing or whatever or how it where it's going and then, and if you're going like a lunatic and thrashing about you know ripping the rod over your shoulder and uh, you can't tell what's happening so it's literally calming the angler down saying that's it be firm on the fish but just don't you know don't overreact and don't lose it you know for for the fact that you can't control yourself let alone the fish so yeah, and, and at the end of the week, you've got anglers who are there, you know, tap tap tap, bang, you know, nice control, nice pump winds, you know, putting pressure on the fish, even pressure on the fish, and working it away from the snag. And you think, yeah, that's great, you know. He was when he turned up, he hadn't got a clue, and now he's walking out the other end of it. You know, he can use his lures properly. He can cast better. He can stand up in a boat better. He can, yeah. you know, and when he hits that fish, he knows what to do, and he doesn't panic, and he doesn't overreact. So, yeah. you know, that, that and that's a great thing. That's a nice thing about guiding is is actually taking people in one end as a novice and taking them out the other end. I wouldn't say as an expert, but as a lot more experienced angler, because when they are spending two, three, four thousand pounds on a on a holiday, it's a very expensive place to learn to fish. So, yes. you know, they need to they need to be able to um how would I say, um, calm themselves down, work out what's going on and just, you know the best they can. And you 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 touch on the very important point because the first of all, um in a lot of cases people don't know what to expect, you know. We we like fishing for for pike or sea bass here in the islands and mm-hmm. you know, we we have like most of really i think that most of anglers have a years of experience of mm. fishing that that fish and that mm. there's no relation to what what's going to happen there in the tropical waters in those tropical fish mm. and and the other thing you know i can say i remember that from my own experience like the first day we went on on a boat mm. and the first time i had a bite on my rod it was mm. like 
completely the emotions, the everything that's going on around, the, mm -hmm. the night spent in the hut, the, all these things. And mm -hmm. it's really hard to kind of, like you said, to calm yourself mm -hmm. and, 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 and focus on the task. It's more of like, oh my God, there's a fish. And, ah! and I, I remember you just walk to me and, and you pat me on the shoulder. And it's like, Tommy, relax. It's just the first day. It's the first fish. Like, relax. Like, you yeah. got this. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. You probably see that over and over and over again. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and, I, and I do remember calming you down a bit. I do remember you being in the same position everybody else was. But it's just, it's the same. You know, it, it, it happens. And people they've been waiting all year to do it you know they do a lot of there's a long way to travel you get there then you you know everybody's yeah, let's get out there let's get going you know <laughs> and you and you have to calm everybody down and you have to go through all the gear and you have to say this does that and that does this and this is how this is the knots we're going to use and this is what we're going to do and yeah. and you know and, and when i'm not there that's what the boys do you know the boys my boys are, are all excellent fishermen they're used to catching fish. Um, you know, they are used to catching fish. And, I mean, we're talking about Guinea now rather than other destinations because, obviously, they're my employees, so therefore I uh, I put my level of quality on them or trying to impart it to them that they've got to do these things. Um, and, 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 you know, uh, I suppose that the, the, the one thing you should expect from a skipper is his willingness to change if it's not working, his willingness to try other options, to keep moving, keep doing things, and, and also to, to, uh, to use his knowledge to plan your day out. So effectively, yeah. you know, that skipper, and we do it a lot, where we sit down the night before with the boys and I say, right, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? And they'll go, oh, I'm going to the chimneys, I'm going to the West Rec, I'm going to uh, Porco, I'm going here. And what are you going to do? And then, and the ne and the most important question, what are you going to do if it doesn't work? Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, there's no gimmies in fishing. I can, we can blank just as easily as anybody. We don't quite so much because we've got lots and lots of different marks and we've got lots of different places you can fish, lots of different methods you can use. Um, so, and, and because you've got multiple species, what tends to be happening, what tends to happen is if one thing's off, something else is on, Yes, you know, certain yes. fish will take advantage of certain tides, whereas other fish will just go and sulk on the bottom. So effectively nine times out of 10, it's unusual that you blank. I mean, some days it's difficult. Some days it isn't, mm -hmm. but realistically speaking, that skipper should be sitting there is is an hour and a half ahead of where you're fishing so he's yeah. going right when this when this bite packs up and and they do that mm -hmm. the idea that the idea that you're going to turn up at a place and you're going to fish all day and you're going to catch fish there is rubbish basically yeah, yeah. The, the fish will come on uh, normally big predators don't rush about in fast tides. You know, they're not going to do that. They don't, they, they're not going to waste energy charging about in a fast tide because the, the small bait fish have the advantage. So effectively, yeah. in a fast tide, a small bait fish will be sitting there, a big bait fish will come, all the little bait fish has got to do is turn sideways and boom, it's off. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in a small tide, 
that little bait fish has got to swim like buggery to get away from that predator because basically the tide's not helping it. So effectively, those big predators will will take advantage of those small t- of the smaller part of the tide, which is effectively obviously the end of the tide and the beginning of the tide, and they will be out hunting at those moments. Yeah, yeah. So effective. So so effectively, that skipper is going right. I've got a four-hour window or a three-hour window in which I've got to absolutely maximise what we're going to catch because he knows he'll turn up at a mark, he'll drop down and the tide will be a little bit fast and he'll just sit there and go, right, wait, and then all of a sudden it will switch on. Yes. And and because that tide will have dropped down to a point where those predators will start to move about, they'll come out their holes, they'll swim up, they'll find wherever they're going to be and... Um, they will start hunting because that's when they're hunting and that will carry on through the bottom end of the tide. It will probably drop off a little bit when at slack water because there's no food being brought to the fish and then it will probably pick up again just after the start of the tide. So effective at the start of the outgoing. So if you're fishing an incoming and then you get the slack and then you get your start of your outgoing, so you'll get two peaks, but all throughout that window, now, obviously, the, the the smaller tides you've got, the longer that window is because the longer yeah. you've got of slower water. So he will put his, his day together based around the fact that he knows, right, I want to catch some snappers or I want to catch this or I want to catch that or I want to catch the other. And he'll know his marks and he'll know where he's caught certain things and he'll, he'll be able to go to that point and say, right, um, Today we're going on a snapper bash. They come on at the at the end of the incoming tide, so I want to be on that set of rocks because that's where the snappers tend to be, and I want that bait, and I want to keep some of my live baits. I don't want to burn them all during the middle of the tide. I want to keep some of those baits so we're ready to go as soon as we hit that mark because he knows he'll, he might have... It might be 20 minutes, it might be 40 minutes, it might be an hour and a half. But the point is that that bite will start and stop. It will switch off like a light. Yeah. And, and then because he's an hour and a half ahead of where he wants to be, he'll then go, right, we're going to travel to there. And at the start of the drop, I can go and um, at, at, the, at the start of the, whatever tide, ne- the next tide is, whether it's incoming or outgoing, I can do a bit of trolling on the way and then I can get to another mark by the time it starts to move again. So those yeah. are the sorts of things the night before you're sitting there talking to your skippers about and going, right, put your day together on that basis. Yes. No, you know, like you're, you're like everything. This is like a local knowledge and experience of the local conditions is, is something that can, you cannot replace and you cannot read. Well, I think the tide, I think the tide thing is worldwide. I mean, you know, that, that, that tide effectively, I mean, you know, I've seen, you see situations where I've got some friends in Devon who've got a flat over, over one of the little rivers mm-hmm. and you can see the bass and there will literally be, just cruising up and down, doing nothing, not really interested in anything. You can chuck a lure at them. You can do what you like, and they won't touch anything. Then all of a sudden... It switches off. Everything starts to... They start to move more quickly. They start to move around, and next thing you know, they're gone. They're going out. They're out going to look to to where they're going to feed because they know at that point... And depending on whether they're feeding... 
obviously it depends on what they're feeding on you know if they're feeding on in bass in particular things like razor clams or whether they're feeding on peeler crab or what they're doing but yeah they are a, they're a typical predator in the fact that they will cruise around doing absolutely nothing and all right. of a sudden that tide will switch on and they sense it and off they go yeah yeah and and if you're doing let's say you were beach fishing for instance you've got a you've got an outgoing tide and and you've got the you're fishing the end of the outgoing tide so effectively it's miles out you know you've got loads of exposed rock and everything else and none of those fish are going to come in there at that point because they won't risk st- stranding themselves i just want to finish off the 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 part with the destinations before we go a little mm-hmm. bit more technical and fishing so what are the either most popular or your or destination or destination that you would recommend and are they the same uh i think destinations tend to come down to style of fishing or type of fishing so obviously you've got fly fishermen you've got big game fishermen you've got um inshore fishermen you've got specimen anglers so each one of the each destination tends to appeal i mean even even to the point of fly fishing you've got the the cold water salmon boys and trout boys and then you've got the the bonefish hot warm water bonefish guys so yeah. they even those split into different ones but i mean uh to put a i mean as far as f- salmon and salmon fishing is concerned british columbia fantastic destination uh well supported fishery relatively easy to get to um and you catch a lot of fish yeah. um you know the fraser there's more fi- fish run up the Fraser system in, in a day than run up the D and the Tweed in a year. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, a, it, it's a fantastic destination. And also, while you're there, you get a chance to catch one of those massive white sturgeon. So ah. realistically, it, it ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of fishermen. Yes. Um, still relatively cheap. I mean, it's gone up a little bit, but that's got more to do with exchange rate than really the price of the fishing. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, it's been a destination that we've been doing for 20 years uh, and um, pretty much it performs. I mean, it does produce a lot of fish. Um, good operators. I mean, the Canadian boys are very heavily licensed, so it means all their equipment's good. The boats are good. Um, and What's the, is, the, is that destination that is, uh, uh, let's say, wife friendly, or is it more hard? It is. I mean, it is. You're in, you know, you're on the edge of the Rocky Mountains. So I mean, uh, uh, but yes, I mean, very. You know, the, the Canadians are friendly people, and there's stuff to do. <coughs> Beautiful area. I mean, stunning area on the end, on the edge of the Rockies. Or sorry, the coastal mountains rather, Rockies. And you've got Vancouver, you've got Vancouver Island, you've got the Rocky Mountaineer train that goes up through. So you can put together packages that include other stuff. Okay. Um, <coughs> but, um, yeah, it's um, it's a good destination for, for everybody. I mean, we send a lot of anglers, to be honest. We send a lot of groups of anglers. Mm. Um, but, yeah, great. Very good. Very good. Um as far as uh, I suppose um, the, the the warm water fly fishing guys, um, Cuba, mm-hmm. Las Salinas, yep. Well, everything bonefish, tarpon, um, permit, uh, and, and 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 I mean, I wouldn't say the emphasis has gone a little bit away from bonefish, but I think what's happened is a lot of people have caught bonefish, yes. so they want to do something else. Um, you know, they want to 
they want to do uh, you know they want to catch a big tarpon or they want to do uh, something let's say um uh, that is going to be um uh, a little bit different and i mean cuba certainly the areas like las salinas um mm-hmm. will offer you um uh, how would i say a good chance for a decent tarpon permit which are almost the most frustrating fish you'll ever catch in your life because they don't seem to be hungry whatever you do but um <laughs> they are that you know so uh bone fishermen are now going away from being just bone fishermen and they tend to want to catch tarp and they want to catch permit they want to catch all sorts of right. stuff so destinations like that cancun in mexico is very good i mean the old um uh, ascension bay um which is which is a, a an old a, a collapsed volcano crater with a load of flats in it that's a good destination um so yeah i mean those two are probably the easiest to do i mean there are hundreds of bonefish destinations i mean florida and wait, and wait until you say guinea bissau as one of the no no i wouldn't I, I don't sell guinea bissau as a as a fly fishing destination oh, because, because on the fly fishing sorry I yeah that. i mean I, that i would i mean i going through the sort of destinations you got um and i mean those two would probably be the easiest to do i mean there are yeah. hundreds there's florida i mean the only slight issue i have with florida is there are a lot of anglers and mm. most most of the bonefish can tie their own flies because they've seen so many um <laughs> But it's uh, it's uh, it is it, it can still be a very good destination. Predominantly, Florida is a destination where people fish for tarpon because mm. that's that they've got a big head of medium-sized tarpon, but not particularly fly fishing for them because they're a bit big for most people. But averagely, you know um, that um, uh, offshore big game fishing, phew, Cape Verde is fantastic because it's got a lot of fish, but predominantly salvacenti the island everybody's got the idea that cape verde you catch them everywhere well you don't like most places um uh, they're salvacenti the, the the channel between salvacenti and san antonio is predominantly the area where they where cape verde's got its name from senegal's very good and relatively cheap uh kenya which has obviously fallen a bit out of fashion because of used to be the prime big game destination for british anglers but it's fell out of bed a bit now because of the terrorist issues they had but it's coming back a bit now um uh, there are lots of big game destinations um cabo san lucas is fabulous because uh, it offers great accommodation loads of options you know resort hotels and Little. And when you talk, and when you're talking uh, big game, you mean mainly marlin, sailfish, pelagic, pelagic species. So yellowfin tuna, um, set all the billfish. Um, yeah, sailfish, marlin, blue marlin, black marlin, whatever. Um, yeah, I mean that's predominantly the, the what they're after. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean you can do other. There will be other things involved in it, like GTs and that sort of stuff. And then, I mean, after you've done your bit, after the big game stuff, then obviously you go to inshore tropical fishing, which is a bit different because you're looking at things like GTs, tarpons, snappers, jacks, which yeah. will be more prolific fishing. I mean, I get an awful lot of people who who phone me up and say, well, I want to go big game fishing. And you go, well, do you actually want to go big game fishing? Because when it comes down to it, that involves sitting on the back of a boat watching a lure for hour after hour after hour. Yeah. and not really catching very much 
because when it comes down to it, what people have to understand about marlin fishing is you don't catch a lot. And if you go to the very few places where you do catch a lot, it's expensive because big game boats, uh, you're paying for a big game boat when it's standing still because most of them don't do anything for about nine months a year. Yes. Um, and and when you're paying quarter of a million pound for a big game boat and it's standing around for nine months a year, then you have to earn a lot of money when it is moving. So you know you got to be you got to be talking eight hundred pound a day and upwards. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen prices last year in in the fourteen hundred pound mark. Um, oh wow. Certainly in you know uh, in the Azores and um, uh, some in Cape Verde, um, Madeira. You know these these destinations they're expensive, but that boat literally doesn't do anything because yeah. their season is from May to the end of September. So you know, and 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 actually they don't get much trade in September. Most of it's really realistically it's from May to the middle of August. So you know they they've got to make their money in a very very short space of time. Yeah. So, um, and then, as I say, then you've got your inshore stuff, which is more prolific. And a lot of people, actually, when you talk to them, they don't want to go marlin fishing. What they actually want to do is go and catch a shitload of fish. Yeah. So, you know, to go somewhere like Guinea. Be entertained. Hmm? Be entertained well, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you, you see a lot of, I mean, the problem, as I say, a lot of this comes from TV or, or videos where you see you know, people winding in, marlin left, right and centre and all the rest of it. And having done some big game fishing, that's not how it happens at all. You know, you have to be prepared to spend hours and hours and hours looking for the area where the fish are. And then, you know, when you hook one, you're probably in it for three hours. So, uh, and, and when you tell people that a good week's marlin fishing is two or three fish, yeah, they suddenly change their mind. You know, it's a great marlin fishing. Well, exactly, fish. you know, um, and this is the problem, you know. Uh, you can go, I mean, you go somewhere like Cabo where you've got small striped marlin inshore, and a lot of them, but the biggest ones are going to be under £120. So realistically speaking, um, they that uh, you can catch those on small boats inshore, so it's relatively cheap. But they're not going to be monster fish. You know, they're a marlin, and it, and and you know, when all said and done, people say, "I want to catch a marlin and tip that tick that box." But I think most people have the idea in their head that a marlin is four thousand pounds, thousand pound, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred pound. Um, yeah. Whereas you know, and 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 I send a lot of people to Cabo. Certainly a lot of people who've never caught a marlin who want to go and catch a marlin because it's a destination that in amongst those marlin, you've got yellowfin tuna, you've got rooster fish, you've got snappers, you've got sorts of different stuff. So you can actually, how would I put it, um, you can, um, uh, you, they can they can fill that, tick that box whilst catching other things. But that's rare, in fairness, in, in amongst those destinations. That's a rare thing. Yeah. So realistically speaking, um, when getting back to inshore tropical fishing, which is what you did in Guinea, which is tarpon, jack, snappers, barracuda, cobia, there's a lot more of them, and you catch a lot, and and you know you can you can catch twenty, thirty fish a day. Um, so when it comes down to it, realistically speaking, um, that those 
tend to be the destinations that people like to go because they want to get their string pulled. Yeah. You know, and 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 if you're fishing, you know, albeit those fish are 10, 15, 20, 30 pound, mm -hmm. if you're fishing yes. them on light gear, which is effectively pike fishing gear, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's still good sport and it's still a challenge and they still lose them and they still, you know, and they're still difficult, you know, they're not gimmies, they don't, they don't sort of jump in the boat. So effectively, they're, they're gaining experience and uh, and when you work as in the business as long as I've have, and you get repeat clients, you find clients which will uh, go through the gambit of of fishing in various destinations, and then go right. Well, I've ticked that box. I'll now move on to the marlin fishing and all the rest of it because they've now gained enough knowledge yes. not to panic when they hook a big fish, and not to get carried away, and not to do this because I've seen a lot of anglers lose. You know, when you when you when you go marlin fishing for three days and you get one strike and then the angler goes mental and smashes it off, that can be that's quite frustrating for everybody, skipper, yeah. client, everybody. So yeah. that uh, experience of not panicking and not going mad and listening to what people are saying whilst you're trying to fight a big fish, you know, yeah. is, is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, and then you've got what I'd class as, and I mean, as far as inshore uh, stuff, obviously the GT thing. Everybody's gone mental on popper fishing for GTs and jigging for uh, dog tooth tuna. That seems to be a big thing at the minute. I mean, it's uh, fishing is very faddy. You've only got to look at carp fishing and whatever to see how faddy it is. You know, people get this idea and go, "Oh, yeah, well, I'm I'm only going to do this, and I'm going to do that." And and everybody's, you know, GT fishing, fantastic, and 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 surface lure, everything led into that from the surface lure fishing craze because everybody went popper mad on bass at one point about five years ago, and then um, that sort of led into everybody wanting to catch stuff on surface lures. I mean, we get a lot of people in who come to West Africa who want to catch everything on a popper. Um, and the GT fishing thing um, is fantastically visual, great fishing. They fight like stink, um, very explosive. But they do tend to be, it does tend to be in places which are untouched. You know, you have to go a long way to catch GTs because they tend to be in very remote areas. Yeah. So, um, you know, you talk Madagascar, the Seychelles, and obviously you're talking Indian Ocean and Pacific. So uh, predominantly the UK guys, the, the Indian Ocean, you've got the Andaman Islands, you've got Sri Lanka, Madagascar. Um, so, and that's another, as I say, that's another destination which is very but it, they tend to be uh, species-specific destinations mm, yes. where you tend to be going specifically for GTs because what tends to happen with GTs is you're fishing with tackle that nothing else is going to take. I mean, if you're using a popper the size of a milk bottle, you know, <laughs> very, rarely, very rarely is a small fish going to take it. So it tends to be – and it's a young man's game as well, standing, standing up, thrashing – thrashing the water to a froth with a massive great popper like that in 35 degrees of heat can take it out of you. Yes. Um, 
So I even remember from Guinea-Bissau that this could be quite physical, and and you need yeah. to be in a good good shape to to be able to do this day after day after day Indeed. because it's it, it's yeah. not like once once and done. You just wake up and you and you go fishing and then you're and working that, that lures and. Yeah, and I mean that's not even that's not even big poppers. I mean, you know, the poppers we're using in Guinea are one fifties. You know, the, these guys are using two twenties and some, and in some cases three hundred mil. So and yeah. and they weigh a ton, and you're using big rods. You know, fourteen thousand um, stellar reels. You know, it's big gear. Um, and um, yeah, but fa- but you know, fantastic sport. But uh, again the same kind of thing is the fact that if you've got anglers who want to catch a lot of fish then it's probably not for them because you you know despite what everybody will show you and i mean everybody shows you photographs all the time everything you see on facebook and all the rest of it is oh yeah we caught all these and all the rest of it and when you actually find out about it they've actually caught two fish in a day Mm -hmm. and uh so again cut your cloth you know if that's what you want and 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 i admire specimen fishermen it's not particularly my bag but certainly i appreciate what they want to do and i appreciate how they want to do it and and that's fine you know um but you just have to be honest with people and say you do realize this is it you know i mean the 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 the, i think if any any fisherman who assumes that they're going to catch millions of fish everywhere they go is yeah. Delu- deluding them, yes. <laughs> but, but uh, the English tend to be relative. I mean, I, I've dealt with a lot of different nationalities. The English, thankfully, tend to be relatively um, realistic about fishing. You know, they yeah. they they appreciate the fact they're going to have a bad day every now and again. Yeah. But what they don't want to do is have a bad week. And what and the, and, and and the worst thing about it is, and the thing that that that. That, that I get complaints about is is about not knowing what's going on and why. You have to explain to people why you're doing what you're doing yeah. and how it may work and how it not may not work. Because anglers, how would I put it? You learn uh, as a as a guide and as a skipper. I learn as much about a day when I don't catch anything as I yeah. do on a day when I do catch things. Yeah. And in some cases, when you're catching, you're so busy doing whatever you're doing that you don't actually take in what's going on. Yes. Whereas, whereas on other days when it's a bit slower and you can, you've got time to appreciate what's happening, you can literally put down in your log, right? I'm not doing that again because yeah. that, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, that I think, and, and I think sitting down at dinner afterwards and saying that worked because. Mm-hmm. Or that di- I think that didn't work because, and tomorrow we're going to try something different because, and then at least they're involved in it. Exactly, they're, they're, they're part of, yeah, it, of it. Yeah, they're not making the decision themselves. You can, if you're clever enough, you can make them think they're making the decision themselves. But, <laughs> but, 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 but you, the reverse psychology. <laughs> indeed, yeah. Well, that's that always works. But um, the no, I think it's. Um, I think it's a case of, uh, you know, you've got to you've got to involve the fishermen in it because if you ignore them and just go right, I know best, and we're going here and whatever you say, I don't give a shit, you know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, but and you also get people, you know, I mean, a typical example is, oh, we just want to go popper fishing, and I'll say, well, you can just go popper fishing, but what you have to appreciate about popper fishing and lure fishing is it doesn't work all the time. 
Yeah. It's no good standing on a beach, flash thrashing uh, uh, the, 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 the water to a froth with a popper when the tide's going out because those fish <laughs> won't come into that shallow water when the tide's going out because they won't risk getting stranded. So what you say to your clients is, yes, we can go popper fishing. And yes, of course, we'll do it. For, you, you know, you will do it. But I'll take you there at that point of the tide and give the, and say, as soon as that tide turns and that water starts to push, those fish know they're not going to get stranded in shallow water because the tide's coming in behind them, so the water's getting deeper, so they can come in and they get they've got they're more confident and they can come in closer. And then you'll catch them on your popper, and they understand that. And you yeah. say to them, this is the reason they're doing it. And then you say, well, we can go to the, say, oh, well, we caught them on the sandbank at so-and-so. And I say, the reason you caught them on the sandbank at this point of the day is because the mullet are in shallow enough water that the fish, when they attack them, yeah. can corral them against the sandbank. Right. If the water is too deep, yeah, then those mullet can get away. So those, there's pointless those jacks being there chasing those mullet when there's deep water against the sandbank. They yeah. will only go there at a point at the start of the incoming tide because that way the water is shallow. They can corral the, 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 the mullet into the sandbank and they can catch them. Yes. When the water is deep, yeah, those mullet can go down and sideways. When the water yeah. is shallow, they can only go sideways. So effectively... The, the jacks are not going to go there. So that's, and you explain that to them clearly, and you say, that's why I don't want you to go popper fishing all day long because you're just going to thrash it to death. And yes, <laughs> but you might by accident catch a fish that just happens to be wandering past. But when it comes down to it, to maximize your fishing opportunities, we need to be on that sandbank between that and that. And they go, yeah. yeah, but we caught them at, at two at two o'clock. And you go, and you go, right. And they go, yeah, but we caught them at 12 o'clock two days ago. And you go, yes. And the tide goes back 50 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. So if you caught them at 12 o'clock two days ago, you want to be there at two o'clock. So, and, and all these things, and you just explain it to them as they go along. And then they feel involved and yeah. they learn, and they learn something. Exactly. Do you often, uh, does it often happen that you that someone says like, "Oh, I want to go, you know, popper fishing or GT fishing," and and then you or some of your your crew goes like, "Okay, you know, how old are you? How fit are you? How oh, I do? You, how much I, can you lift?" <laughs> I do. Yeah. Oh, I do. I I quite often say to people, um, "How you know you do realize how physically challenging this is." You know, I mean, even even in some cases, in I mean, it's not necessarily just the fishing; it's the weather and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just it's not just a case of of the fishing side of things. Yes. You know, you when you're standing up, you know, you're going out. I mean, some of these places, and I mean, Guinea in particular, you're out at eight thirty in the morning, and and you know, if you're catching fish at seven o'clock at night. The boys won't bring you home. So you could have been out in that boat for 12 hours by yeah. the time you get back on the beach. You know, that's a long time in 32 degrees of heat. So you need to be prepared and you need to take, you know, I mean, I send a list out to everybody of, 
all the stuff that they need, like big hats, long sleeve shirts, all the rest of it. And I still get people who turn up without a hat wearing T-shirts, and they're going, oh, yeah, I've, I've been on the beach in Spain for five hours. and one I said, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like Spain, mate. The sun is not the same in Spain as it is oh. in Africa. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, two days later, they're going, oh, Oh, um, I feel a bit rough, and I think I must have eaten something because I've got I've got diarrhoea and all the rest. Of it. And you go, no, you've cooked your brains, and you've got heat stroke. Oh no, well I'm you know I'm I think I've eaten something, and I go, well, we all eat we've all eaten it. That the you know the food's all prepared in the same in the same big roasting dish, and we've all eaten out that out of it. Now if there's anything wrong with it, we'd all have the shits. But yeah. it is people, you know. Yes, um. Some people are, how would I put it? Some people just don't bloody listen. <laughs> and there is nothing you can do about it. There is absolutely nothing you can do about it if they won't listen to you. But, you know, I I don't get any satisfaction at all out of saying, you know, I told you so. But I do uh, I do try to, um, how would I put it? I do try to be as, as sensible as possible ahead of time, and I'll send everybody a little list of things, you know, and yeah. say, right, you've got to wear this and you've got to take that. But uh, how would I put it? They don't read it. Yeah. Did it ever happen that, you're, that you refuse to take someone because you know that this is so outrageous that there's really no point? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I mean, I, oh, no, I mean, I've, uh, yeah, I, I've, I refuse to take... Um, um um oh god um the tv crew uh when we did um oh um extreme fishing mm-hmm. robson green wow. now the thing about doing tv programs and and you'll find that it ha- that if you speak to anybody who's who's done any amount of recording factual programs for for whatever not that I'd not that I'd say that TV pro, uh, fishing programs on TV are factual in any way, but um, <laughs> the <laughs> the um, you you don't get you don't get the star when you want them. You get them when they're available. Yeah. So I mean, the first time when we did extreme fishing, they said, "When do you want to go?" And I said, "Well, probably November." any time between November and March, and he came out in September mm-hmm. at the end of the rainy season. Um, and um, uh, uh, I, I, they said, I want to go tarpon fishing. Uh-huh. And I said, no. I said, it's a pointless exercise. They're not there. Um, and it's a hell of a long way to go. Um, and I know the mark, but... There won't be any fish there. You won't catch anything. It's a waste of your time. You've only got four days here. Sorry, that wasn't extreme fishing. That was um, Grand Slam. Um, I said, you've only got four days here. Why would you waste your time going to try and catch a fish that wasn't there? And they went, oh, no, we want to go tarpon fishing. So in the end, I said no, and um, they Lauren um, took them, and lo and behold, they didn't catch anything. So um, <laughs> there was no yeah. there. well, uh, that is the absolute truth, you know. I mean, that's what happens, you know. People, people, uh, there are certain things you can do and certain things you can't do. And one of the things you can't do is catch fish when they aren't there. 
Yes, that's most difficult. That's the mm. most difficult. That's the most difficult yeah. task. Richard, yeah, but... uh, if someone is listening to this and uh, you know they're obviously uh, want to go uh, for their big fishing adventure, you know, initially I was I want to really ask you about the tackle and the gear and what gear they should do. But because of the the variety of fishing and fishing destinations, there's there's so many things, right? So the answer is like it depends where. Mm. But maybe more more uh, kind of like a generic advice when someone is choosing this is about to choose the destination or choose the species of fish what is what they should do and what is what they should consider uh, outside of obviously reading the information that you send them oh i mean <sighs> more well put it this way tackle catches more fishermen than it does fish mm. so when it when it comes down to it um uh funnily enough the 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 general ang general anglers i.e people who river fish or fly fish or whatever tend to be the easiest to deal with because they they'll take your advice and tend to uh hire a tackle pack which has predominantly got basically what they need everybody wants to buy a few bits and pieces and that you know we get a, you get a scenario where Fishing being faddy as it is, you will end up in a situation where, uh, you know, when I was guiding a lot in Guinea, you'd end up with one group turns up and goes, oh, have you seen this snowy tarpon rod? And you go, yeah, a guy had one last week and the top snapped off it. And then you go, and then it is snapped off it. And then you'll see a neck, the, the next group will turn up and the bloke will go, oh, I've just bought this snowy tarpon rod. And you go, right, well, leave it in your room. <laughs> But um, you and look, the same with lures. I mean, when the Williamson Jet Popper first came out, everybody who came over brought a Williamson Jet Popper because obviously they were doing a lot of advertising and it was mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, have you seen this? And you go, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, the other the last bloke brought some of those. It, it, uh, I mean, <laughs> put it this way, lures, colours, everything else, um I'm a great believer that the guy who catches the most fish is the guy who has his lure in the water for the longest. Mm. Now, I'm not saying all lures work because the action is important and whatever else. But generally speaking, when you work out that a 150 mil popper about suits the fish you're fishing for, I don't believe that the color makes a huge amount of difference. Because are you one of these guys who are just have their own favorite lure and just keeps fishing that one lure always? Um, uh, it, uh, <laughs> it, the problem being, the problem being is 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 it, when you're fishing for thirty different species uh -huh. and you don't know which one's going to pop up and grab your lure, it's very difficult for me to stand there and go that lure is going to work. I know that over shallow rocky ground. You can either use a popper or a shallow diving lure, um, mainly because they're working in the range that you want them to. Poppers, as such, don't catch very many fish. I'm not saying that they, they're not great fun to use and they're visually very great fun, but they don't, by comparison to, say, a stick bait, mm -hmm. they wouldn't catch as many fish. You get, because when it comes down to it, um, uh, Jacks will eat anything. Mm -hmm. They'll eat your 
flip-flop if you chuck it in the water. I mean, if they're smashing about on the surface, it doesn't matter what you're chucking. If they're going in one of their frenzies, if you're having a frenzy of Jack smashing about, you can chuck what you like in the water. I had a day at, I had a day at the chimneys with two of our clients, and the Jacks just kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And by the end of the day... I don't think we had a lure in one piece in the tackle box. Everything, <laughs> everything had been chucked at it and everything had caught fish because those fish were on and they were, and because the jacks were on, the snappers were coming up as well because once those jacks start to feed, those snappers get turned on, the barracudas get turned on, everything gets turned on and they're all coming up hammering them little bait fish. Because the jacks create havoc, which means there's bait fish flying everywhere, so the snappers will snap them up and the what's it. But and, and when those fish are in that mood, I don't give a crap what you chuck in the water, it'll yeah. catch fish. Yeah. When the fish are not in the mood, um, and that tends to be when there's not many around, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, if you have an instance where, let, for instance, you've got, everybody's idea of a snapper bite is the rod bent double screaming line off at at 100 miles an hour and it's stuck in the rod holder so hard you can't get it out. (laughs) That normally indicates to me that there's a lot of snappers down there because there's a snapper seen that bait and he knows that if he doesn't grab it now, one of the seven or eight snappers swimming around him, he's going to grab it. So he's going to grab it and he's gone. And he's trying to get back into his hole or into his little gully or whatever it is that he lives in, and he's trying to get there quick before somebody nicks it off him. Mm-hmm. If you've got one snapper, that bites like a crab. Ah, It's just tweet, tweets like having your pocket picked. Uh-huh. That snapper will come up and he'll just pull it, tweak, and you look at it and you go, oh, small fish, and you feed it a bit more line, and then it tweak, uh-huh. tweak, tweak, and you go, feed it a bit more line, tweak, tweak. And then you go to, and, you, and then you see something and you pick it up, boom, and it's a rock. <laughs> because that fish has dragged you back, yeah, slowly. It's never got hold of the, end, the, the, the hook or anything else. And it's and it just literally dragged it back, dragged it back, dragged it back because it knows he's on his own, so he's in no hurry. Well, it's, but it's just the same snapper that when there's seven or eight around, he would have grabbed it and gone because he's got competition. Yes. So effectively, when the fish are competing, and you'll see that with everything you like, you know, ground bait. If you ground bait a swim for 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 commercial carp. And you can get those fish up in the water competing. As soon as you get your float in, bang, it's gone. Because yeah. there's fish competing and they have to get it. And if they don't have it, they're not going to get it. If you've got one carp, it'll mess about and swim around and line bite and whatever else because there's no competition. <laughs> so they're all, all, as far as lures are concerned, the guy that will catch the most fish is the guy that covers the most ground. And yes, obviously, you know, you don't want to use a lure that's t- so deep that it's going to keep going in the rocks. And you don't want to use a lure that's so ridiculously big that the fish aren't going to take it. But realistically speaking, as far as colours are concerned, yeah. you, could, you, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in natural imitations. Blue, silver, green and black, you know, stuff that's natural. For some reason, redheads work, and I will give that give you that. The you know, redhead 
is a good colour for a lot of fish and it works in certain conditions. I find, and, and the only other variation I would use for that, if I was trolling and it was coloured water, I would go for some fluoro colours, maybe a yellow or an orange. Okay. But, um, but, to stand I mean, up in the water. Yeah, well, just a bit of something, you know, just a little bit of something that goes through. But, I mean, I've caught, I've caught no end of fish on black lures. Yeah. You know, I mean, realistically, when you're, when you're laying on the bottom, all you um, – uh, and, and trolling lures traditionally are, for me, they're barracuda lures effectively. And that barracuda is lying on the bottom, and it's the noise more than the – Yes. The it's action, the, the noise, it's the, the, it's the, the vibration more than the color. Yeah, absolutely. If but you there, put he, if if you put four trolling lures out, the one that will catch the most fish is the one that's swimming deepest. Because there's a it's close. It's, clo- it's closer to the fish. Yeah. And then and and then if you if that lure brat conks out and you have to take it out of the water, the next deepest one will catch the fish. Yeah. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. That's good tips, uh, Richard. Um, question: Like we're gonna we're gonna be slowly wrapping this up, but I have like a, two more questions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, over all those years, so obviously you have a twenty years uh, or or probably even more of experience in fishing in all those destinations. Mm-hmm. Over the years, do you see any changes with relation to you know either climate change or decline in species or biodiversity absolutely absolutely yeah i mean you know gambia to be perfectly honest is nothing like it was nothing like it i mean gambia when we when i first started going there um uh, was a good destination it wasn't uh, wasn't was never as prolific as guinea mm-hmm. but it was a good cheap destination um, and it was easy because obviously it's a it's a holiday destination for UK anglers uh, for UK uh, citizens. So um, it was easy to get there. Cheap, decent hotels. It's good laugh, decent food, but the fishing was good. I mean, the boats weren't terribly clever, but you could forgive that because they were cheap, and you catch fish. Mm-hmm. But now uh, it's been summarily slaughtered and uh it's a and and it's a very small country so therefore a lot of um how would i put it a lot of um the um uh the small reefs have been you know the situation now is the price of fish is so expensive that if one person catches a a 30 pound cassava next thing you know the following day it's like a car park because that thing, that well, that fish is worth a month's salary. Yes, you know they can sell that to a hotel for equivalent of a month's salary. So those guys, have, you know, they're gonna they're, they're gonna fish so hard to try and catch those fish. Mm-hmm. And 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 when it comes down to it, on those small reefs, you know, uh, the, the 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 situation is that for a combination of no catch and release, they don't let anything go, which hasn't helped them. Um, and they've got a, a commercial, a, 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 an offshore. Well, you see, I'm not so sure. I heard that. about the uh, Gambia that the problem was that their the government sold off the rights to fishing rights to uh, EU, and the next thing you know, there there's big super trawlers showed up and they're well, wiped not really. I've never seen a super trawler. 
I've never seen a super trawler. I've seen some dodgy old trawlers coming out of Dakar, but I've never seen, and I've been blue water fishing off Gambia a lot. Okay. I've seen plenty of old what's this, and they fish for these goat fish, these like a, a bit like a red mullet. Mm-hmm. And that's what they fish for, and they go into fish meal and fish pies and that sort of thing. Okay. I've never seen what I would call, I mean, uh, eat, you see, what you've got to remember is Gambia is a funny environment because actually it's just one massive river estuary. I mean, when you're in Gambia fishing, you're not fishing in the sea, you're fishing in the river. Now, um, the, the, the actual drop-off in Gambia is about 22, 25 miles offshore. Now, that leaves a big environment for, um, uh, for, for fish within that. And the sort of fish you're talking about, which are cassava, um, uh, cassava snappers, um, barracudas, aren't offshore fish. So theoretically, they shouldn't be that affected by offshore trawling. My issue with it is the fact that they've got very small reefs. They've done a quite, they, done, they did a lot of work pumping sand out of the river wow. and putting it on all the beaches, which didn't help. And also, they've got a huge Senegalese influence there, where the Senegalese are down there. I mean, basically, they long line. I, me- I remember going to Gambia when you'd see 50 or 60 big guitar fish and big rays laying on the beach every day in the, in the villages. Oh. Um, and those fish take a long time to grow. Yeah. You know, a big guitar fish, an eight-foot guitar fish would be 30 years old. Yeah. Now, you kill that, you're killing 50, 60 of those a day in an environment which is only 30 miles wide. Yes. You, yeah. you, you know, and, and the problem is there's only really three or four main reefs in, in Gambia. Now, those reefs are probably only 30 acres now you go and fish those fish snappers and you fish all those fish out every time they appear they get hammered mm-hmm. that you know and and they don't let anything go there's no release of small fish there's no anything so everything that comes out of the water is is dead so realistically speaking um you know they're they're not you're not going to get you're not going to get a situation where um you're not going to get a situation where um they're going to replenish because you're going to, you're, every time they come in, yeah, um, you know, Guinea, on the other hand, um, because they haven't got the population and because there's, it's a massive archipelago yeah. and there's no refrigeration on the islands, there's no, um, how would I put it, um, there's no way for them to exploit it because basically they, when you talk to the fishermen there, because they've got no fridges and no freezers and no electricity supply, when you say to them, well, why don't you get a bigger net and why don't you do this? They say, well, what's the point of having a bigger net? Because I, I catch a load of fish and then they will go rotten because there's only, I can only sell the fish I've got to the people in the village. So what's the point of catching a lot of fish? Yeah. So they catch a few fish every day, which they take back to the village and sell, which is ultimately sustainable. Right. And because it's got rocks and wrecks and reefs and all that shit, the commercial boys can't fish it. But offshore, there is exactly the same trawlers and exactly the same Senegalese netsmen that there are in Gambia, and yet the fishing in the islands is perfectly fine and untouched. 
Now, my argument would be if Gambia was under the same in the same situation, that it's all very well everybody blaming the trawlers and blaming this and blaming that, because what that means is they don't have to stop what they're doing. <laughs> yes. Because we can say it's not our fault, it's their fault. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody likes to blame everybody else, but when it actually comes down to it, in my opinion, and I mean, I did a thing with the, with the Gambia experience, and I said to, they used to have a fishing trip where they went out on this pirog, about 20 people, mm-hmm. and they all used to go out with a fishing rod in the, in the creeks, which effectively is the nursery for all these fish. Mm-hmm. They'd go out in the creeks, and they'd fill bucket after bucket with three-inch long fish and kill every one of them. <laughs> and, I went, and I went to them, and I said, you know, uh, you're, you've got this um, eco-malarkey, we are a, a sustainable travel agent, and you're doing that. Yeah. And I said, you, what you need to do is you need to go to all your clients and you need to say, right, I'm gonna, we're going to charge you five pounds extra per person which will go straight to the crew as long as they release every fish that comes on the boat. And, yep. you know, you talk to the punters on the boat and you go, do you like this bit where there are all these dead fish flapping about, all these fish flapping about in the bottom of the boat? And they go, well, not really. And you go, well, uh, you know, would you be happy to do that? And they said, yeah, of course we would. So I said to them, right, you go to the, all your operators and you said, unless you're going to release the fish, we're not going to book your boats. And they went, yeah, good idea, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you take that extra five pound and you give it to the boys because, let's face it, those fish that they sell aren't worth a fly in anyway because they're all tiny little fish and nobody wants them really, but they'll still take them down the market and sell them. So you give them that fiver each, they'll be better off. All your clients will be happy and you'll be doing your eco thing. Good idea, let's do that. I went back there about five months later um, the boat came in and the boys are going, are uh, bringing these buckets of fish off the boat. And I said, well, what's going on with that then? And they said, yeah, it's great. We get an extra five pound and we get the fish. <laughs> and now, and now they've stopped doing those trips because they don't catch any fish. Of course. Yes. Oh man. Self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm afraid that's yeah. what happened. That's, and, that's, and realistically people are, you know, um, I, uh, I'm, uh, you know, make the most of anglers should make the most of these places because you are now having to travel further and further to get quality fishing. You know, I mean, places like Guinea, places like the Andaman Islands, places like Sri Lanka, you know, these places are getting few and far between. Unfortunately, much as I'd love to find it, there are very few places where you've got five star hotels with top class fishing right out the front. Mm-hmm. that's cheap you know that does they don't really exist anymore because yeah. the disturbance of jet skis and people windsurfing and blah 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 or the pressure of fishing to provide fish for all those people and all the rest of it has meant that you know those sorts of environments don't really exist anymore i mean you know there's a lot to be said for florida for their fish con- conservation because they've done a brilliant job over there with their stuff mm-hmm. but um that's one of the few places where that sort of thing exists. But realistically, to make the, be- make the most of places like Guinea, because as soon as somebody puts a refrigeration plant on one of those islands, it's next, thing, next thing you know, you know, boom, finished. Yeah. That's, that's not good. And what's your, what's, your, what's your view? How, 
how this is gonna continue what's the what's the future are we heading to the future and eventually we're gonna catch every single last one of those fish and we're gonna be left with a no i don't think so. I mean... ecosystem of you know jellyfish and worms no i don't think so i mean you know people are becoming more aware you know people are becoming more aware and my clients are becoming more aware of the fact that they're putting pressure on captains you know i mean my lot Given their given their due, they do release fish. I mean, you know, <laughs> I suppose it comes hard to people who haven't got a lot mm-hmm. to to chuck back what is effectively a meal or whatever else. I mean, luckily for us in Guinea, there's nowhere to sell them. I mean, the stuff there's certain fish, and will always be certain fish that are difficult to release. And you know, there's a lot of um, sort of higher than thou individuals who go oh was it every time something goes on facebook it's well was it oh oh well was it released was it released was it released and you go well you know i've got nine crew i've got 15 15 um staff and eight clients some they've got to eat something so when it comes down to it no they weren't all released we took some of them but i do make that clear to clients before they go you know the fact that they will be killing some fish but um Hopefully, we've ended the gratuitous, uh, the gratuitous slaughter of hundreds of fish just for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I thought that was great uh, that we actually were were eating a fish that we caught. You know, we we kept the the amount of fish that were to feed all the people on the island and and so on and yeah. the rest. But I, I think it was it was brilliant that this this part. Of- yeah, it's it. You know, uh, social media social media can be difficult sometimes because oh, you know, I, it, it, people want to see people want to see people want to see fish. You know, and when it comes down to it, if you want to see a fish, people you got to take it out of water nine times out of ten. And uh, we've got and I have issues in the fact that. Uh, where we are in Guinea, um, the uh, there isn't a hospital for two and a half hours. Well, yeah. by boat, so I will not have a barracuda in the boat because I've seen too many people ripped up by them and whatever yeah. else. And also the crew, apart from anything else, mm-hmm. you know, it's got when it's got a ruddy great rapala hanging out of its face and a set of teeth like whatever and it's thrashing about whatever yes. i mean i don't want it in the boat yeah. yeah unless it's dead so you know if you're going to bring that barracuda if, if it's lip hooked and we can flip it off absolutely no problem at all fine if it's got whatever inside of its face and there it's thrashing about all over everywhere i'm sorry bang knock it on the head bring it in unlock it put it in the fish put it in the fish locker mm-hmm. if we can but that's barracudas in particular and and as far as i'm concerned i and i've said it numerous times to clients we catch a lot of them and i'll say right if you want to stop killing barracuda we'll stop fishing for them we'll just stop trolling and go somewhere else because mm. you know you catch no end you catch i don't know six or seven ten an hour if you you yeah. know if you do and and also there are other fish like cassava in particular which just will not release they even in relatively shallow water 15 20 meters deep you bring them up and the bloody things you know you can try and release them you can try and release them and you you'd let them back and they flip up on the surface and they're very difficult some fish are difficult and 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 those fish you need to literally limit how many you catch yeah because if you're going to catch them 
then you're going to kill them. Then they're going to, you know, we're going to knock them on the head, and they taste great. But you only need a certain amount. You don't need thirty. You know, you probably need half a dozen. Yeah. Um, so you know, we will try and release them, and the boys do try and release them, and every now and again one will go back. But even then, I'm not entirely sure that it's not. Yeah, gonna... that's always the question about the mortality rate, right? Yeah. So you know, snappers will release, cobia will release. Lots of fish will release perfectly well, and we all those we release all our tarp and all our rays, all our sharks, all that sort of stuff. But there are certain fish which are just not easy to release. So I think yeah. that's just the way Richard, it is. Hmm. Last question: um, How do you how do you see what is the uh, recruitment of new anglers? I mean, is it is it becoming uh, slowly but surely becoming like a old man's sport or do you see uh you know fresh no. blood and new people coming into angling i think the father and son thing still works i think if you get fathers who fish you tend to get sons who like to fish um i mean it's difficult for me to be perfectly honest because i i mean because of the cost of what we do mm-hmm. traditionally the guys that i'm dealing with tend to be at the older, more well-heeled yes, end right. of the market. So as yeah. such, I don't tend to see a lot of kids unless their dads are bringing them. You're right, um, you're right. The reason I ask that, because, you know, this is, there's this, this known uh, phenomena, especially when it comes to hunter's recruitment, that really these sort of... Uh, and and with angling in fairness as well that these sort of outdoors activities are less and less appealing to young people and so we we you know we tend to see older and older and older people hunting and fishing and young people tend to stick at home and you know do their playing or whatever else well i mean i think um i would say the um economic decimation of the countryside is probably part to do with it because there's a lot less people living in the country you know i mean shooting and fishing traditionally is a country's pursuit and you know that that although obviously there are people who live in central london who do it you know they're obviously not going to be as and the more people that move into city more people living in cities and uh, as a as a pro rata to the population there are going to be less people doing it i mean i um I don't know. I mean, it's it's still, you know, my son's mad keen. He's 13. Loves it. Went went out to Guinea, thought it was fabulous, wants to go again. Was very disappointed, but he couldn't go this year. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think you have to have, uh, you know, you have to have an adult influence that's bringing people along. You know, he fishes because I fish and I take him fishing. Um, but, I mean, I think uh, the a young guy you know 10 year old now i mean all the other rubbish that's going on like they can't be out on their own and no you know all the child molesting rubbish that's you know doesn't help because kids yeah. people are scared about kids being down on a river bank on their own you know i think that's probably it doesn't help but um yeah yeah i don't know is the answer i mean I, i'm sure there are some far worthier people than me know the know the influx of ang- of young anglers i mean we do bits and pieces at shows for for and i always and i always spend a lot of time with parents who want to buy fishing rods for kids and stuff like that because i think oh. it's a, a worthwhile investment um sure. not sure. mind you not not that i think i'll be around by the time they get to old enough to buy a holiday in guinea-bissau but my son might be you never know um yeah. 
<laughs> Richard, listen, it was uh, it was great. It was uh, very educational and and interesting. Thank you so much for your time. Um, mm-hmm. Listen, tell us tell, tell us for our listeners uh, where to find you and and how to how to find your 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 place and uh, how to book the holidays. Well, obviously, um, www.worldsportfishing.com is the website. Uh, my my email is Richard at worldsportfishing.com. Um, send us some details I mean we do leaflets and bits and pieces for various destinations so just or give me a ring um, 07977 and I'll talk you through the options I mean that's the best way to do it that's perfect Richard thank you very much alright mate thank you very much You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.